and welcome to the Market Insights podcast hosted this week by me, Katija Haq, Chief Economist and Head of Research at Emirates MBD. Today, we'll be talking about a topic that is receiving a significant amount of attention and coverage in the financial press. And no, it's not Bitcoin. It's environmental, social and governance or ESG investing. I'm joined this week by my colleagues, Edward Bell, who is responsible for our market economics coverage and Shadi Alborno, who has recently written a piece on ESG in the UAE, which you'll be able to find on the Emirates MBD Research website. Hi, guys. Hi, good afternoon. Hi, Khadija. So to set the scene a little bit, I'm going to start with our commodity specialist, Ed. Um, Ed, what exactly is ESG investing? Right. So ESG investing or in the environmental, social and governance investing is a, a kind of framework for investment analysis and decision making that's motivated not just by financial return that an investor might get, but also by non-financial metrics related to the sustainable outcome of a company or of a government's operation. So at a top line level, as you said, it stands for environmental, social and governance and investments in this context aim to have an outcome that aligns with one of those principles. The, the E, the environmental component, is often the easiest way, one to get your head around. It sort of relates to questions about whether a, a company has a large carbon footprint because of its operations and could it use new financing to try and reduce that? Or does a business draw down, for instance, on a lot of water in its operations? The social uh, element here refers to how good a corporate citizen, a government, or a good corporate citizen, a business might be, or investments into a social program that a government make, make like healthcare or unemployment insurance. Social investments could also relate to whether uh, products are actually safe and appropriate for use. So we often think of them as just being tangible, tangible products, but you can think of uh, financial products. They're appropriate for the consumers that they're being marketed for, towards. Uh, are those products uh, accessible? Does the company meet the appropriate labor standards uh, in its area of operations? And then finally, governance refers to how well a company or a government is structured and how well it's adhering to its own or its sector's rules and regulations. What's the kind of composition of the board of directors? Are there independent directors? Is there a strong internal audit function? Is accounting held up by international sectors? And it does seem that investors are increasingly drawing a lot more of these themes into their decision-making to help understand the, the long-term viability of a business. Essentially, the uh, integral sustainability of a company's operations before they decide to allocate capital. The universe of kind of ESG uh, or environmental and social investing has been around for a while, but it's really exploded in the last couple of years. Um, ESG debt totaled around $2 billion in around 2005, and last year jumped up to over $800 billion. Most of that is in the form of bonds, and generally we've seen that uh, green bonds or green lows that are used for an environmental investment, say into a renewable energy project or into improving the energy efficiency of a, of a business have taken up the lion's share. But we've really started to see that social investment is uh, increasing its share of the total universe as well. So social bonds jumped from about $19 billion in 2019 to over $150 billion in 2020, really driven by um, the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. From the securities issuer point of view, the benefit is that they can begin to attract new sources of capital uh, or even remain current with existing investors who may be drawing down more of these ESG credentials into their investment decision-making process. There can also be a benefit, particularly for the um, 
public bond market uh, ESG products that, uh, whether it's a green bond, for instance, social bond, that there might be a lower coupon. So investors could be willing to pay a premium for an ESG linked asset. Okay. So basically what you're saying is um, companies could potentially access financing at a cheaper rate if they can show that they score highly on these ESG credentials, which investors are looking to try and promote. Um, so I guess the next question is, how would you measure a company's environmental, social, and governance score? How, how would an investor go about assessing whether company A has a, has a better ESG profile or is meeting targets better than company B? Right. So there, there is some kind of uh, parallels or you can draw some uh, linkages towards the kind of normal credit analysis a company or an investor might do about the credit worthiness of a project or of a company and the kind of rating agencies that exist around that. But instead of, say, looking at debt to EBITDA or total turnover of a business with respect to its capital spending uh, that a credit investor might be looking for, the metrics that an ESG uh, investor is going to be looking for won't necessarily be exclusively financial. So it could be related to, say, the overall amount of emissions that a company uh, emits. Now, that in itself can be interesting. And, you know, obviously, you're going to see a huge amount of diversity in, in how large a carbon footprint might have, but it's not going to allow for a lot of easy comparisons. So a utility company, for instance, that uses natural gas uh, generated power as part of its portfolio is obviously going to have a much higher carbon footprint than a, say, technology company or a financial services company. So it's important to find a relative metric like the uh, carbon intensity of uh, profits or carbon intensity of turnover to be able to compare and contrast across different um, companies within a given sector or help to build up a benchmark that you can compare and contrast across sectors. There are uh, firms that specialize in assessing ESG credentials similar to the rating agencies that we have in the, the credit market space, but there isn't so far a single universal standard that investors say uh, company X is doing better or worse than company Y, so let's adjust our portfolio accordingly. So generally, from the investor point of view, they would be drawing on uh, several sources, some of them public, some of them that are uh, for-profit and need to be paid for. And also importantly, a big part of this, and this relates to the, the G, the governance part of it, is direct interaction uh, with the issuers or with, with the companies themselves to make sure that any ESG claims or any ESG targets are very transparent and reported on a regular basis. Got it. Um, let's move the focus a little bit to what's happening in our region in the ESG space. Uh, Shadi, you published a note last week looking at developments in the UAE around ESG investing. What is the UAE aiming to achieve and how are the authorities encouraging businesses to do more to meet these goals? Indeed, Khatija. In fact, if, the, if you look at the focus of the paper, it's really largely on the E aspect of ESG, and, and that's, that's the title of the report, Sustainability in Focus. I think a big part of it is to look at what policymakers are driving companies to do to fall in line with wider development agendas and charters that UAE has. Now, there are a couple of them. There's a UAE Energy Strategy 2050, the UAE 
Green Agenda 2015 to 2030. There is a national innovation strategy, and let's, let's not forget the very important event taking place uh, later this year, Expo 2020, where sustainability is a core theme as part of the event. Uh, Policymakers are taking steps now. The, both the Abu Dhabi stock exchanges and the Dubai financial markets require companies, listed companies, to have ESG reports this year within six months of, their, uh, of the end of the financial year. That's for the first year, 2020. And going forward uh, into 2021, they are required to disclose um, their ESG reports within uh, 90 days of, uh, of their uh, financial statement uh, of the end of their financial years. So there is this push to sort of of make sure that corporates are capable and able to issue those types of statements. But the quick question, big question right now is around standards of these statements. I think it's a relatively new agenda for UAE corporates and also for the UAE policymakers. A number of companies have actually gone the extra step and huge third party reporting to sort of add an additional layer of assurance onto their existing uh, own reports. And KPMG had a report recently where they looked at the companies using, using third-party uh, uh, third uh, third participants to actually help them uh, issue their ESG reports. Now, if you look at the net figures, it has gone down from 16% in 2017 to 14% in 2020. That's the number of companies using third-party uh, third companies to help them publish or to publish additional reports on their ESG uh, on their ESG credentials. But the reason you have that is actually there's been a significant increase in the number of companies reporting in ESG to, due, to the, due to the requirements. Another important factor is the fact that the UAE has joined the, um, uh, the agenda for sustainable development. Uh, this was back in 2015. And again, that that refocuses again on the importance of the UAE meeting these sustainability goals as part of their wider development and, and uh, development agendas and national charters. So a real strong push from policymakers to make sure that companies are reporting on that. But the big, the big thing that I think we're gonna see effort applied on over the next two years is standardization of these reports and comparability because investors investing and looking at ESG reports for companies in the UAE want to make sure that they are comparable to, to companies in other parts of the globe in terms of reporting standards and uh, reporting depth. Got it. Can you give us some examples of UAE companies or entities that have made notable progress in achieving uh, some of the goals that the government has set out as part of uh, their sustainability plans and ESG plans? I think some of the bigger corporates are actually stay, taking a, a step ahead uh, in terms of meeting these objectives. Now, Majid Al Fatim, which is a major retail and property uh, conglomerate, uh, they have set a goal to achieve a net positive mod business model of carbon emissions by 2040, effectively producing more energy and water than it consumes. Uh, Etihad Airways, uh, uh, the, it's the first airline in the Middle East to announce net 
net zero carbon emissions targets by 2050, and they're exploring the use of synthetic fuels, and which is effectively hydrogen mixed with carbon on uh, future flights, and is working on boosting its offset uh, programs. Uh, they've committed to 50% in, uh, re in uh, reductions of net emissions by 2030. 35 and initial 20% in reduction of emissions by uh, 2025. Uh, Diwa, which is the power operator in Dubai, uh, has undertook steps in recent years that have contributed to reducing net carbon emissions in Dubai by 22% in 2019. Now, they met this target actually two years ahead of the targets uh, set in place by the Dubai Car Carbon Abatement uh, Strategy 2021 to reduce uh, emissions by 16% by 2021. Uh, Again, you see a lot of these larger corporates and larger uh, government-related entities working within the frameworks set by, by, by the government. And I think it's an issue of which are the major corporates that do have significant footprints outside the UAE and are already well aware of some of these uh, ESG requirements and some of these ESG standards. I mean, remember, it's a relatively large market. And as, a, as the UAE is looking to attract inward investment, the size of ESG investments uh, right now stands at about $53 trillion. Now, again, I'm focusing a lot on achievements that are happening on the e-space, on the environmental space, but indeed uh, social and governance are two other areas that will have increasing focus in the UAE. But I think the way the UAE is looking at this is with a lot of focus right now on the environmental aspect, because this is one area where we're quite behind, especially on a lot of corporates and in terms of their target uh, uh, in terms of their carbon emissions. Achieving that, I think there'll be increasing focus on meeting some of the social, but also importantly, governance, governance standards. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. The companies that you mentioned are actually ones which tend to uh, tap international capital markets for finance. And so if investors are asking for ESG credentials, then those are the companies that will have to step up and start providing them and start showing the progress that they're making on those goals. I think it's also interesting Absolutely. that you mentioned that, you know, the focus so far has very much been on the environmental side. But when we look at the region and you look at, say, Saudi Arabia, where one of their big goals for 2030 is to actually increase the female participation in the workforce. I mean, that lends itself really well to this kind Absolutely. of uh, policy initiative and for corporates to actually show where they are making progress on the social side um, by, for example, employing uh, you know, a much higher number of uh, females and particularly females uh, in a, at a senior level. Um, so I agree there is yeah. tremendous scope for uh, increased reporting and perhaps more ambitious goals on the social and the governance side as well as on the environmental side. Um, just Absolutely. Thinking... Just to add on to that, Khatija, I think just one more aspect on the uh, on the social side. Uh, I think we're seeing increasing number of women in the UAE on on company boards, which is uh, a variable that really plays in line with that social aspect, as yeah. you pointed out. Uh, yes, thank you very much for for highlighting that, um, Ed. I think it's it's worth taking into account or stepping back a little bit. Um, there is something of a paradox in our region, in particular when we talk about ESG investing, because we're really talking about governments encouraging businesses and consumers 
to reduce consumption of hydrocarbons in a region where the government still rely on production and sale of oil and gas to generate major majority in some cases of their budget revenue and also to directly contribute to economic growth. So how, how do we get our heads around this you know, dichotomy where the, you know, the policy is to try and reduce consumption of hydrocarbons, but at the same time, the government relies on production and consumption of hydrocarbons to generate uh, budget income? Yeah, it's certainly true that the, the kind of economic engine of the GCC and uh, probably the wider Middle East region has been extraction and export of hydrocarbons, whether that's oil and natural gas or increasingly refined products as well. And I think there is this awareness that um, the the oil producers and gas producers of the region are keystone elements of the global energy mix. But there's an understanding that as the world is going to go through an energy transition uh, and become less reliant on fossil fuels, so too do the economies of the region need to transform as well. I think traditionally when we've spoken about diversification of the GCC economies as economists and uh, policymakers have focused on it, it's been this assumption that, okay, well, you know, oil prices are volatile, they go up and down, and we need to insulate our economies by building up other industries to avoid that volatility. And there's obviously been success there. Some are more advanced than others in absorbing that. But now we face a very real prospect that not just for the oil price is going to be uh, going up and down, but that perhaps in maybe one to two generations, the world is going to be consuming a lot less oil, a lot less natural gas. So the baseline economic vitality of the region could be under threat. Now, that helps to push investments into other parts of the value chain here in the region that align better with the energy transition, but that still draw on the experience and skill set um, for the region. So, for instance, we've seen big announcements from the UAE, uh, from Saudi Arabia about investments into hydrogen product production, which is kind of a natural step um, going from oil and gas extraction and production to one that's a cleaner burning fuel. We've also seen major investments into photovoltaic capacity across the region to reduce the intensity of the fossil fuel component of power mixes across the region. So it, it's, it is a bit of a paradox, but it nevertheless is one that's being an outside catalyst, I think, to push the economies, um, not just on a more environmentally sustainable path, but on one that can be more economically sustainable, sustainable for the long run as well. The UAE and the GCC countries are still investing in increasing capacity for oil and gas production. But at the same time, we've recently seen global oil companies come under pressure from both governments and shareholders to invest less in drilling and increasing production capacity. Do you see the growth of ESG investing as reducing the capital that's available for investment in traditional hydrocarbons um, in the rest of the world in particular? And does this allow the GCC to become an even bigger player or a more important source for oil and gas production if the rest of the world is going to be investing and producing less? Yeah, so I think traditionally the kind of funding or regulatory or legal pressures uh, for upstream oil and gas projects in the GCC aren't quite the same as what an IOC would experience. We've seen, for instance, recently pressure on both Chevron and Exxon to improve their environmental credentials. Also, uh, Shell, for instance, has been ordered by a court in the Netherlands to cut its emissions faster and further. That kind of uh, external pressure hasn't really existed in the same way for Gulf oil producers, given that governments generally own the entirety 
uh, or near the, the, the near entirety of the share capital and funding for upstream projects has generally been self-financed or been received from uh, importing parties, particularly uh, the development banks in, in importing countries. So if there is a scarcity of available capital for international oil companies, or that just becomes tougher to sell in a more ESG aware environment, there is probably scope for Gulf oil producers to increase their market share. And hence we are seeing, as you mentioned, the big investments into increasing the upstream capacity here in the UAE, but also across other producers um, in the Gulf region as well. It's worth considering, though, that while that upstream investment is happening and um, the, the GCC and OCs are probably going to be capturing a bigger share of the pie, the pie is not going to be growing as fast in the future and might actually start shrinking in the next, say, 10 to 15 years as governments and private sector firms internationally really attempt to get to grips with the challenges of the climate crisis. And it's, it's not an issue where um, borrowers or issue, uh, debt issuers in the region can pretend that there is this shift in international uh, investment dyna dynamics that doesn't affect them. You know, bond issuances from the region aren't just bought and invested in by investors from this region, they're taken up internationally. And to ensure that there's some attractiveness of regional debt, particularly for the energy sector, but not just limited to it, I think if you want to have a sovereign issue or another corporate issue, as Shadi stress, there's going to be more pressure for them to step up their ESG credential game, it's going to need to take in more and more of those considerations to remain appealing to international investors. So to summarize what we've talked about so far then, um, the trend towards taking into account environmental, social and governance aspects of any investment is likely to become more widespread. And this should encourage many companies uh, to make much greater efforts to improve their ESG scores in order to be able to raise capital more cheaply. The UAE and the wider GCC economies have already committed to doing more to improve disclosures and reduce their carbon footprints, even as they continue to invest in increasing oil and gas production capacity. We're also seeing more capital being deployed in greener energy projects in the region, which will help to reduce the dependence on oil and gas revenues in the coming decades. Uh, do you think that's a fair summary of, of, of what we've discussed today? Have I left out anything important that should be flagged? No, I think we've got the main topics across there. Um, Shadi, did you want to jump in? Uh, no, I think it, it, it covers everything pretty well. But I think the, 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 the main challenge for the region will be really about finding, the, finding uh, some ground on standardization of reporting for ESG. That's going to be a very important aspect that they need to work out. And um, I think the policymakers are pretty much on track with that. I think we're going to see an increasing pressure by policymakers, both on the timelines for reporting, but also on the depth of reporting. And that's going to be an excellent step actually ahead uh, for corporates here. And it will push them to, uh, to uh, really give an effort uh, on all of the three dynamics of ESG, whether environmental, social or governance. Thank you uh, to both Ed and Shadi for your really interesting insights. And thank you for listening uh, to our podcast today. Please visit emiratesmbdresearch.com to read Shadi's report on ESG investing, as well as access our other research products. Until next time then, bye-bye.